virgin all the way. Oh, and it's a beautiful goal! What a It's time running out for Rodgers. Another defeat in the Premier League. We need to turn it around against Burnley or Leeds. Randers in the Europa League playoff, whatever it's called. Also, RIP Mad Burnie. On for Fox's sake. Hello and welcome to For Fuck's Sake. My name is Pete Selby in a very echoey room again. So just apologies there. I'm in the uh, the last hurrah of uh, of moving house. So there's basically nothing in here. I'm actually sitting on the floor doing, <laughs> doing this with the with the the mic on a chair. So it's all um yeah, it's all slightly strange. Although I have just seen Keenan Jusby Hall walk by actually to be honest walking his dog. So um Everything's right in the world. I, I, I am 95% sure it was him, Rob. 95% sure. So you reckon that there's possibly a doppelganger knocking around in the same corner of Leicestershire? Yeah. I mean, I did question it because he might well be on the way to Denmark, but they might be flying tomorrow. They might be flying later today. Who knows? But yeah, that that just crossed my mind, but it definitely was him. But uh yeah, he was out walking his dog, uh, which actually tried to run into the road. Very small dog. I don't know what, what kind of type, but um, yeah, there you go. And uh, yeah, well, he's he's the man of the moment at the moment, isn't he? Because uh, he's, he's one of the only people who are actually pulling up any kind of uh, trees at the moment for Leicester, away from the obvious massive Europa Conference League championship title that we're going for. But anyway, Rob... Um, We've got plenty to discuss. We've got the form from the last what few games in the Premier League to discuss. We've got the game against Randers. Really, to be honest, it, it, that kind of takes care of itself, doesn't it? Because it was such a, an easy win, uh, vital win, I suppose. And then the second leg should be relatively straightforward. But it's more really about how how the club is looking as a whole and also going forward in the Premier League and, 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 and the question marks still surrounding the side. The, I mean, the game against Wolves, let's just put it out there out front, they were the better side. Leicester were the better side. You've got a Wolves team who are going for fourth place, fully fit, everyone ready to go against the Leicester side, still missing, obviously, key important players. Just didn't fall for them, I thought, in the first half. Got the equaliser, and then I thought second half we were going to push on and and hopefully get the three points. But of course, killer punch towards the end. Maybe decisions not going our well our way, and it's just disappointing. It's improved, but it still defeats. And the Leicester fan base seems to be, I think, pretty much down the middle because you've got people now going well. You can't keep on losing. You know, there needs to be changes at the top. But then you've got the others who are saying, well, you can see the improvement. They should have beaten West uh, West Ham. They should have probably got something from Wolves. They should obviously have beaten Spurs. So the performances are there, yet the defeats 
are there as well, but we're going to stick with the manager. Um, we know what we said last time, but obviously in football, things can change from game to game. Um, the, incredibly disappointing and frustration, frustrating to to draw the game against West Ham. Unbelievably so. I mean, the circumstances were farcical. You know, you could easily see what was going to happen. But then when it did, it you're looking for who to blame, etc. Schmeichel, for me, um, was the decision to bring Vestergaard on negative and aided the goal. I don't think it would have aided the goal for me, but I don't. I, I think certainly was negative and that aspect of, of Rodgers' management probably has to change. But it's just the way things are going at the moment. We'll come on to the manager, but what are your feelings overall, Rob, after the game against Wolves? Your feelings change, don't they? Um, in a very short-term manner, football's a very short-term game and it and and it you know your emotions can change several times within a game let alone game by game I think what you've got with Leicester fans at the moment is a core group of Rogers out you've got a core group of Rogers in and I don't think either of those particularly um are too hung up on games one by one on a sort of game by game or result by result basis and then the people that kind of um uh, sitting in the middle like you just said there and kind of swinging a little bit one way and a little bit the other. I think at the moment, based on, let's say, the last two games, really, um, Randers and Wolves, obviously there's a there's a win and a defeat there. Um, but I think what from what I've seen, and, and people that I've spoken to, social media that I've looked at, there seems to be more Rodgers in at the moment and more positivity because... Obviously, the four-one win against Randers, yeah, they're not very good. Let's be perfectly honest, and 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 it was a cruise control really for large parts of it. But the performance against Wolves was much improved, particularly going forward. And on another day, it, with with a couple of other decisions possibly, and, and a couple of chances or drops of the ball, Leicester win that game by a couple of goals, and you come out of it with back-to-back wins. You've beaten a team that are doing very well this season and are making themselves difficult to beat. And you go, all right, here we go. We're, we're set up now for a strong final third of the season or whatever we've got left. Um, but ultimately, we sit here looking at Premier League form where we've performed well against Wolves and we've not won. Not even got a point. We have improved in the second half against West Ham and then... Pff, Many players and the manager probably as well have completely shrunk into themselves, and I, you know, I, I use this term. This term's quite a, an extreme term, but bottled it in a way. Um, you know, it, it's a team that's lacking confidence that can't see out a a, a win like that against West Ham. Um, so you know, three points becomes one, and you drop two there. So. You can see why people's emotions and, and thoughts and opinions are swinging side to side at the moment. You've you've got to say that there can't be any real lack of desire in the team or lack of wanting to play for the manager or anything like that. I don't think there's any massive rift. And there could have been after Roger's comments the other week about some players cruising along, some needing to be kicked out, not ready to sort of push themselves. Um, but I think what we've seen overall is a decent reaction to that. Uh, but we're still seeing a team that are not used to winning football matches and are therefore 
struggling when that when that winning line is in sight and and that is the mentality shift for me that's got to change now uh, and it starts with not conceding daft goals doesn't it the game the the goals against wolves i wouldn't necessarily necessarily say are extremely poor but i i completely agree with roger's point that the players needed to get out to, to that a bit quicker because if you watch it in reverse and you watch the Wolves players closing down Leicester shots from the edge of the box, three of them charging. Leicester players closing down. Uh, Wolves player, mm, one or two maybe uh, at kind of three-quarter pace if you're lucky. So it's just defensively, as it has been all season, needs tightening up because you can't outscore teams every single game and that's really what happened against Wolves. The opportunities were there didn't convert enough of them. You can see two goals against most teams in this division and you're going to get beaten. That's the key. They're, they're conceding goals all the time, aren't they? It's two goals every game at least. And even from very, very promising positions, it's it's throwing away points. And the league form is obviously worrying, yet to win in the league this year. But then you start to look at the league itself and something we've not done for an awful long time is then look behind us and see where the opposition is and see all of a sudden a weekend where Burnley win, a weekend where teams further down like Newcastle have been picking up points and you start to then worry. And then even if you're in the an ardent, say, Rogers in, you then look at the situation and go, well, if it carries on, something will change. Now, I, I looked at the game against Wolves and, and I was very disappointed still that Kelechi Nacho is not starting. I, I think him and Daka need to be playing together completely against Rogers's first choice formation with the three players behind the forward still or maybe more of a 4-3-3, so the three up top. The problem with that is obviously the, the, the players who are in form. So the second half against West Ham, Harvey Barnes was exceptional. Completely destroyed the fullback who got taken off. So you're then going, well, you, there's your reason why you're playing him. And then against Wolves, you say Adamola Luckman was really good in that position. Got the goal, played well, very feisty, combative and could have been sent off, etc. But I quite like that in a way. I mean, if he got sent off, it wouldn't have been obviously any good for the side. But I like the fight he's shown. And I thought it was a very good performance. So those positions, which I'm eliminating having two up top, have been very fruitful for Leicester in those two games. But they've still not won. You look at last season and you just have to look back at the final 14, 13 games and the record Iheanacho had. And it seems... It seems very strange from the from the outside world, away from Leicester and away from the Leicester fan base, from other supporters who are going, why isn't he playing? Has he been injured? And you're like, well, no. It's just he doesn't quite fit the system. And they're like, well, yeah, but the system's not working. And I know what you're saying. It's it's. I think it's reached the tipping point. I think it reached the tipping point a while ago where I'd like to see them try that. I'm certainly... Certainly not one of those supporters who are saying that Daka will never be that lone forward type player. I think that's that that's crazy to write off a player in that position already. Of course, he needs to work on his game, but I think alongside someone that will just help, and he might never turn into a lone striker. Who knows? He might always be best in the two, but he needs help. We know that Kelechi Nacho can't play on his own up front. 
the disaster against Forest was probably the last time we'll see that. Not saying that was his fault, but it was. It's just plainly clear that he is alongside another striker. Maybe when Vardy comes back, who knows what kind of Jamie Vardy will come back? We all pray it's going to be the Vardy of old, but who knows? Maybe it's a Vardy that, when Rogers came in. He brought in the new Vardy era of not chasing players down to the to the touchline, to the byline. He stopped him. He said, look, no, you're, you've got to be in the central area. Don't wear yourself out like that and stay in that central area. Be, be more, when we win the ball back, be ready rather than being that person who closes everyone down. Realise your age. Maybe that area of the field becomes narrower now he's coming back from this you know, severe injury. Maybe he turns into a striker who needs someone. Maybe he needs an Ian Acho alongside him now. If that's the case, then surely the formation will change no matter who loses out, whether it's a Lookman or whether it's a Barnes. doesn't matter whether how good form they're in. Both players have been very good on, on, on small occasions this season. I think Barnes has had a, ultimately, I think, a very disappointing season, really. Lookman... I was very, very positive when they signed him. I would be still quite wavering on whether you'd sign him permanently. There's certainly a footballer there, a really good player. But the best performances we've seen him play is on the left side instead of the right. So again, you've got a player who can play on the right side of an attack, but it's not his ideal position. Are we trying to put another square peg in a round hole like we had with Iosi Perez? It's uh, and well under just wasn't uh, wasn't good enough. So ultimately, it's 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 very frustrating. That's part of the team. The rest of the side, okay, the defense will pick itself. Great to see Ricardo back. Great to see him back playing very well and being very attacking. And it's such a shame that James Justin got injured. Granted, it's only going to be a few weeks. Fingers crossed. Touch wood. But. It's so disappointing because if you're playing two up top, you need the width to come from somewhere. If you've got Justin and uh, Ricardo both fully fit flying forward, there's your width. There's your width. You can then play uh, two up top and then the rest of the side can fall in behind. The width will come from the fullbacks. Whether that means then Harvey Barnes is on the bench, has to come on and be more central or he can come on late and we can change the formation. I, I think it's a no-brainer now. I think it's a complete no-brainer. You've got Luckman, who's been brilliant from the bench. You've got Barnes, who can come on from the bench and be brilliant. But for now, you've got to start the two up top. You've got to. Because as much as... And, and you got it bang on right. We're conceding two goals every game. It's it's pretty much par for the course. And probably so when you look at the centre-halves. With the greatest respect to the centre-halves, you put those two in the centre-half position for a Premier League side, you're going to concede goals. It's just not working. So you've got to look at the other end of the field and go, well, we're going to have to start scoring. And yet we've got a guy on the bench who's not really had a look in, who scored, what, 15-15 in or something stupid like that at the end of last season. It's got to me now. That bit has got to me. That being said, we'll just reference the manager and of course game game by game things can change now last episode we were all obviously very rogers in i'm still obviously a rogers in and presume you are as well rob yes rogers in for me yeah but um i was talking to uh, my mate dan earlier and and he says well, what happens if we lose to burnley and what happens if we lose to leeds 
And I said, well, if we lose to Burnley and then we play Leeds at home and we lose to Leeds, he'll be gone. I think he'll be sacked. Um, because then you would be looking further down the league because you've got those two teams below us, obviously then would have had the three points against Leicester. These are two massive games for Brendan Rodgers and for the football club, but for him. Randers, hopefully, this week will just be a, a nice walkover and we score a few goals, maybe rest a few key players and you go safely through. But the next two Premier League games, in my opinion, if Leicester lose both or potentially draw away at Burnley and lose at home against Leeds, I can see a change being made. Well, he's had the dreaded vote of confidence, hasn't he? Which means that within a couple of weeks, if the results don't don't match the expectation, then he's got to be gone. And, I mean, as we've said, we're both Brendan Rodgers in at the moment and we can kind of, we can see a summer rebuild under the man that knows the squad the best, the man that's been at the club for, for a good few years now. But ultimately, if the if the owners think that there's any danger of Leicester continuing to slide down the table, and as you say, there are some teams down there that have changed their manager and are picking up results. Looking at Newcastle, Burnley have been galvanised by their, by their new striker. Um, you know, teams like Southampton are putting runs together to, to start leapfrogging Leicester. We're not that far away from the bottom three. Do I genuinely believe we're in danger? No, I don't think so. But ultimately, I don't own a football club. I don't have millions and millions of pounds resting on Leicester staying in the in the Premier League. Um, and, and millions and millions of pounds basically per position in the Premier League, such as the prize money there. So they may well be forced into making a decision if Leicester don't get results against Burnley and Leeds. And really, we say we're conceding lots of goals... You're looking at Burnley, shouldn't really, I mean, apart from the Brighton game where where they uh, put a hatful past them, um, shouldn't really be looking at being caused too many problems by Burnley from open play, but oh my goodness me, who closes their eyes every time Leicester concede a set piece? Everybody at the moment. Um, Leeds, you know what you're going to get from them. Plenty of intensity, end-to-end stuff. And if you don't out-battle them, you can get turned over. So, yes, they're they're both matches against teams in the bottom quarter of the Premier League, but they're by no means walkovers. Um, And and they are really, really important games because I think if you win those two, then you can start thinking about looking up again. I I think um, I've taken any kind of end of season target away, really, from from, in terms of a Premier League finishing position. Because I really can't tell you whether Leicester are going to win, lose or draw the next game. And I can't see where a particular run of form is coming from to get us into a position that actually means anything. But what I would expect from this team is the ability to finish in the top half and not be looking over their shoulder come the final few weeks of the season. And wins against Leeds and Burnley would go some way to to putting that further towards the back of the mind. I just want to pick up a little bit on the on the front two, Pete, because it feels like we're banging heads against a brick wall. We've been saying it for, for a long time on the podcast. Not every episode, obviously, because it doesn't necessarily come up every time. Uh, there's a reason that we do the jobs that we do, and Brendan Rodgers is a football manager, clearly. But we are not alone in our opinion that 
both of the strikers that you've got fit at the minute, Pats and Dakar and Kelechi and Acho, both of them work better in a two. Yet, both of them are being played in a one. And we've never really seen them together. Iheanacho's excellent at, at linking up plays, become much, much better at that. And he's still proven that he can finish, given the opportunity, looking at his goal-scoring record, like you said. Patson Dakar's first season in the Premier League. He is finding out very quickly that Premier League centre-halves don't take any crap whatsoever. And particularly against West Ham, even though um, they uh, replaced Zuma with um, Diop just before kickoff, and obviously Diop's not as good as Kurt Zuma, full stop. Still, Dawson and Diop absolutely had a cruise control of an afternoon because Dakar couldn't get any change out of them. They're proper head-it-and-kick-it centre-backs. Diop's fairly quick as well, so Dakar couldn't even really use any pace. And it, it didn't look like he wanted to get on the shoulder. And, you know, you, you could look at this in, in some respects... Uh, similar to a big story at the moment in terms of Romelu Lukaku, who had what seven touches at the weekend. That's unbelievable. That 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 stat is it's crazy, isn't genuinely, it? Genuinely, that's unbelievable. If, if people didn't see match of the day or, or, or see that, Romelu Lukaku played ninety minutes for Chelsea away at Stamford, uh, away at uh, Palace, away at Sellers Park, and touched the ball seven times in 90 minutes. Seven. Yeah, it's a new record low since they started recording that stat, which was, I think, in the early 2000s. So it's a long, long time. It, it's and, and he is obviously a striker that's that's in today's market worth, worth three, four times as much as Pats and Dakar. And the main question on, you know, Shearer um, and, and, and Ian Wright, etc., all saying, why are you not playing to his strengths? He is one of the world's most expensive footballers. He has proven that he can score goals uh, and they're just not getting the ball to him to the point where he's not running. And I wonder with Pats and Dakar, I don't, I don't know because I don't know him as a, as, as a footballer or as a person, whatever, but I don't know whether against West Ham he was so passive because he was being bullied by the centre-backs or because he didn't necessarily think the ball was going to get to him because... Leicester against West Ham, albeit it wasn't that long ago, was still kind of stuttering out of a period of of shocking form, really. It's a, a, a very easy game for Liverpool to, to beat us. Um, um, we were very, very passive against Liverpool. Obviously got battered by Forrest. And I don't know whether Dakar just doesn't believe that the ball's going to come through for him so he's not making those runs. There were so many times where he could have gone into a channel or he could have played a give-and-go or when we got the ball wide, you're expecting him to make a run across a defender and he just didn't do it. It was It's the first time I've seen him play live for for a while. I, I was at the West Ham game. And by the way, that's three home games I've managed to make it to this season and Leicester is still unbeaten. So I'll let you know when I'm going to the next one. Um, but, you know, when you're there watching it, you know, I was watching him for periods of time when the ball wasn't necessarily anywhere near him. It's the kind of stuff you don't get to see on TV that much. And he just didn't look at it. And I completely agree. He needs somebody else up there. You get two strikers occupying two centre-backs, you are going to get far more opportunities. You're going to get a little bit more time on the ball. You're going to be able to work together and and feed off each other. And they're naturally two different strikers, which I think is great for a partnership. 
Daka, a little bit more on the shoulder, looking for the ball in behind. First time finisher. Ian Acho, much better than Daka with his back to goal. Stronger, more able to link up the play. Maybe a slightly later movement into the box. So if the cross comes back um, from the byline, say, and Daka's tried to go beyond the defender for the ball across, Ian Acho's there waiting. These are the kind of moments that win you football matches. And I know it's Rogers doesn't like playing with a two, but surely you can see that they those two players will be a hundred percent more effective with each other. Absolutely, and and again, just just to go back to to what I mentioned, the ability then to change it to a three because of the players you can bring on or maybe move around. I at no point was Ian Acho brought on to then play in a two, so. We're saying go from a two, go for the two up front from the outset, and then you can bring on players to make it a three, as we usually will play. Well, surely you would have changed it around before this and gone to a two during the game. That being said, and again thinking off the top of my head, Leicester have been in front against Spurs, against West Ham, and playing well against Wolves. When we've had the three, so I'm kind of arguing against myself now because why would you change it to a two when you're in winning positions? It's such a it, that's the crux of things. It's not like we're chasing games. It's not like that at all. It's it's because we've thrown them away recently. We're in this position. Granted, the Wolves game was slightly different, but it's it's just such a strange run of form. The the form league looks awful, but the actual performances I mean West Ham going really well the second half yes first half we were were poor but the second half really took the game to them and were well on top the goal itself I yes of course it hit his arm and then VAR checks it and it was his you know label of his sleeve or whatever it looks handball for me what Schmeichel was doing God knows everyone blamed Vestergaard but Vestergaard gets the biggest push in the back from Kasper Schmeichel, who completely panics and pushes the guy who's underneath the ball ready to head it away. It loops over Barnes on the line. I mean, very just completely unfortunate. Crazy, really. Should he have brought him on? I, I, fully enough, I was watching the Leeds-Manchester United game and Man U were 3-2 up and they bought on Varane um, with about five minutes to go. And uh, and I looked, I went, hmm, I wonder <laughs> I wonder what the, the Leicester fans' reaction would be to that sort of sub, because it was very similar. I think it was, I, I have, first of all, I've got no problem with the sub, purely because Dawson was moved up front in a very Matt Elliott way. You're up top now. It's not going forward for corners or free kicks, it's you are playing as a centre forward for the remaining five minutes. We've got a guy on the bench who's six foot seven, and we're going to bring him on to stand with their main guy up top, their their new tall centre forward. I've got, I've not got a problem with that. I think it was maybe a little too late. I think you get to a point in the game where you go, hang on, we're in injury time now. Unless you're doing it to waste time, then don't bother with in the eighty seventh minute, eighty eighth minute. Yeah, but I, I don't know. For me, it was just a bit too late you know what I mean it was it was just kind of too late and also you're taking off Yuri Tillemans who he could have been dead on his feet but you'd still want that player there I'd rather them take off a centre forward and just push someone further forward one of the midfielders to ch- or even just don't bother with a centre forward 
But yeah, it, it, it obviously then doesn't work. It's the way things are going. And again, that's not going to be an excuse for the manager staying because if, if it turns out that they go to Burnley and they lose to a completely dodgy penalty and then they lose to Leeds through whatever fluky goal and he gets sacked, that's just football. That's the way it is. And I'm pretty sure someone like Rogers would turn around and go, look, the results weren't good enough, very disappointed. But I know that's football. I still th- and the the longer you get in the season as well because I wasn't a fan. I think the first time really the question mark about the manager a few weeks back you were kind of just turn of the year. But Forest really the Forest game. It was after the the, the transfer window um, had finished, and it was like, well, if you're going to bring in a manager now, it's probably the wrong time. But the longer then you go in the season for me the more right it becomes. Look at Rogers when he arrived at Leicester. Um, you have that kind of, the almost golden period before the summer. So if you were to change the manager with, let's say six or seven games to go, you're safe in the league, but you, or you change things around. Someone comes in, they get a good look at the players, and then they can make an informed decision after settling into the club for a few months that, for me, seems an ideal thing rather than appoint someone in the summer. Having someone come in with half a season to go and with no transfer window, etc., maybe, unless you're in a completely dire situation and you're trying to avoid relegation, I think maybe is a bit too much because you'd like to give the manager time to try and turn things around, especially a manager like Rogers, who has obviously done very well at Leicester. So I think the longer we go the more changing the manager kind of seems right at a club like Leicester and the way that we're set up. Whether that's going to happen or not, we'll have to wait and see. Just It will de- it will be determined, obviously, by results in the league. Maybe even in the Cup as well. Who knows? We could maybe stabilise things in the league and then next round of the of the uh, Europa Conference League, we, we draw a team and who are expected to beat very easily and, and, and we lose if that's the case I wouldn't be surprised if if uh, if Rogers goes so it's it's a really delicate situation because at the moment I I think it's more 50 50 I think it's very split down the middle with fans and to be honest with you I, I think it really is on a knife edge with Rogers as well I wouldn't be surprised if in the next few weeks you wake up and you see all of a sudden John Percy has mentioned I believe Rogers is going to be sacked in the next 24 hours. I, I, That wouldn't be a surprise. It would be a surprise if that was to have happened in the last fortnight. But as time goes on, I'm slowly coming around to the fact that if it happens, it just wouldn't be a shock. And the more you come around to that, you kind of go, I can see it. I can see it happening. But there you go. I don't want it to happen, but that's the way it is. I think you're right about the timing element of it because we we had a very similar conversation a few weeks ago and we said, um, uh, would it be a surprise if he got sacked? And I said no, but you were kind of like, well, yeah, it would be because who's lined up and um, and this, that and the other. But, but I, I see why your viewpoint is slowly changing as, as the time goes on because let's say you do pick up those results against Leeds and Burnley that really... Um, make sure that you're in the Premier League next season and then things tail off again and and there's no sign of any sustained improvement where any kind of run of results is going to 
put itself together. Then if if you're thinking, right, new manager in the summer, regardless of what happens, it makes total sense to get one in before the season finishes so that the manager, whoever comes in, can have a look at players in a competitive environment and can begin to plan for a summer um, I won't say overhaul because I think that's a bit extreme, but a sort of a summer shake-up, if you like, uh, and start to think about how they're going to play the players in, the, in, in their place, what their philosophy is going to be, how they're going to manage the football team. The, the overriding thing, I think, that's still uh, one of the things that makes me more Rogers in than, than out is is the who's out there at the moment. Who's going to come to Leicester City, particularly, let's say, if that form tails off so and, and you end up with a difficult tie in the Europa Conference League, you're out of that. You're lolloping around in about 12th place in the Premier League. Where what, What's particularly enticing for, for a top-class manager uh, about Leicester City? Especially when you, when you look then at your, your ageing captain... Uh, you'd look at a one-to-way star player, at least one, with Tielemans. You'd have others looking around at potential, exploring potential avenues to leave the club. If not necessarily, they might not have their heart set on it. But, you know, there's been talk this week about Ndidi possibly being on a few people's radars. He is now getting into his mid-twenties. He's no longer a... I think he's gone. Yeah, yeah. He's no longer a developing central midfielder. He's no longer a, oh, Leicester's a great place for him to be to, to learn his craft. The guy's in or very rapidly approaching the peak years of his career. If he thinks he's got higher levels in him, and other teams do too, he's going to go as well. So if you're a manager coming, potential manager looking at that, you're thinking, hmm, what, what is particularly attractive about Leicester? And then I think that's why the powers that be at Leicester will not take this decision lightly. Not that they ever would uh, in terms of the management. But if you do hit a poor run of form, you do sack your manager, and then you do lose two, maybe three of your best players in the summer, then all of a sudden, Leicester, the expectation or the, the anticipation that we have uh, and we have been lucky enough to have for the last few seasons of Leicester knocking on the door of the top four, really going for a Europa League place and almost kind of expecting one. All of a sudden that goes because you've got to get your recruitment spot on to replace the likes of Tielemans and Didi. Madison might be one that thinks about it. You're going to need a new goalkeeper within the next two to three years maximum, I'd say. Um, definitely need a new centre-half. And then... You've got a new manager in trying to get some new ideas across at the same time. After a season where you've flailed in Europe and you've finished mid-table in the Premier League, it's not the most enticing place to be. Yes, you could say, oh, look at the infrastructure, look at the training ground, look at the fact that the the club is financially stable, the fan base is there, the expansion of the, of the ground, whatever. But from a purely footballing point of view, if I'm a, a top-class manager... I don't look at I wouldn't look at Leicester at that point and and think it was a, a good place to be. So if you've got Brendan Rodgers in, who is fully committed to the project, the longer term vision, then for me you back him and you back him to tidy things up in the summer, bringing the right caliber of player, bringing the right mentality 
um, into the squad, shift things about a bit, kind of not forget about this season, learn lessons from this season and start afresh next year. That's that's really where I am with it at the moment. But there is still that bit in the back of my mind, like yours, where would I be surprised if he gets sacked in the next three to four weeks? No, because that's football. And cliche as it is, it's a results business and the results are just not quite there for Leicester. Absolutely. I'm I'm exactly in the same boat. You, you've you gone through the, the, the team there and what needs to change and what needs to be brought in. He knows that. He knows. And if, if players go, if indeed he's sold for 50, 60 million pounds, for example, he goes to Man U, Tielemans is off. Um, I've got half an idea that Schmeichel will go as well. Um, could maybe look what we've said basically every single season for the last three or four years. Do you think Schmeichel might go this summer because he's got a few years left at a big contract at some big club in Europe? Maybe this could be the season if someone comes in, um, maybe maybe comes in again. Maybe it's that one club. Is it Roma a while ago came in for him? Maybe I'd imagine Schmeichel has turned down offers left, right and centre every single summer. Maybe this time he goes, do you know what? with a bit of a refresh going on, it might be the best time to come and play the final few years of your career somewhere else. If so, there you go. I just think exactly that. You bring in a someone new, especially as you get, let's say, in the summer, I think that could be incredibly dangerous for a side like Leicester because of the players that we're potentially going to lose. I think there's going to be a huge overhaul in the summer. That the word overhaul has been banded around and people have gone, no, I think it's just going to be like a refresh. And I, I don't think so. I think it will be an overhaul. I think there'll be a lot of players leaving. I think there's going to be, if you can you can name now, and I know every summer you, or every lead up to the summer, you look at the squad and go, so-and-so can go, they can go, they can go, they can go. But you look at the Leicester squad and you look at the contract length and the amount of players who will be into their last year next season. There's loads. And then... Also, there's loads of them who have dropped out of the first team or are just no longer surplus, well, surplus to requirements, really. You look at someone like a Perez, for example. Another player who could play up front along with, say, Dakar. Those two could easily play as a 9 and a 10 up top. Anyway, he's surely got to be gone. Um, and again, we, we, we could go through the side. So I, I just think there's going to be a huge refresh and I'd rather it be someone like Rogers to do that because he knows the squad. He knows what he wants, what we need. And a person coming in with fresh eyes can always do that. But, and and also at Leicester as well, the, the, the way that the club sets up, the fact that most of the players will be brought in by, by the club rather than the manager. But I just think it would be at this point better if it was Rogers. But anyway, uh, other people might have different ideas. You know, maybe it's actually a good time to change the manager to who can bring in players to completely freshen the side up, etc. I, for one, think that they will get a lot of money in, but I think all that money will be spent. The figures, the accounts, which we won't go into extreme detail, but um, the, did you see the accounts were released for Leicester? Now, if you do want to go into some depth... If you go to Twitter and go to Swiss Ramble, so literally Swiss Ramble on Twitter, um, who's gone through all the accounts with the Premier League clubs and, and clubs in Europe as well when they when they appear, in some detail you'll find literally the first post will be about Leicester and it's a thread about all of the the accounts for the 2020-2021 season. Have you seen these, Rob? 
I haven't seen them, so I'm looking forward to your summary. I knew they'd been released, but to be honest with you, I'm not quite as sad as you, so I hadn't read it. So please, enlighten me. Yeah, it's it's a nice kind of outlook on the club, really, rather than anything majorly detailed and kind of going, well, this is everything's rosy because the figures are good or everything's terrible because the figures are bad. Overall, to be fair, not bad. Um, they recorded a loss. Um, the loss is less than before, so 67 million down to 33 million, which is the eighth best in the Premier League. Um, now, overall, they calculated that they lost 36 million through COVID. So, in theory, without COVID, we should really have made a profit slash broke even. So, it shows you quite really well how well run the club is uh, is being at the moment. Revenue is up quite a lot. The wages are up. Um, there was a 96% reduction in match day activity, obviously because there was just one game when there was 8,000 people there. A lot of the money came through from Chilwell's move, um, but that's, again, expected. Um, and for me, really, it was, it was the revenue, the, the revenue that the football club brings in as a whole, the seventh highest in England, which for a club finishing in fifth and winning the FA Cup, you would imagine would be the case. But still, I think that's very healthy. And overall, that puts us 22nd in Europe and ahead of the likes of Ajax and AC Milan and Benfica. So it shows you how much money is swilling around at the club. So 7th in England, 22nd in Europe. Um, when it comes to these figures, you always look at what will happen this year. Obviously, the match day revenue will increase. Uh, the commercial revenue will also increase. It increased £12 million that season or that year. It will increase again because of the, the sponsorship deal with um, with the shirt sponsor, very lucrative. So that will certainly be of interest. So overall, it's it's very good, I think, even though they still made a loss. But when you look at COVID and you look at the example that Leicester had by not claiming any government help, etc., and then you weigh that in and you throw that into a 33 million loss, which is automatically going to ring bells. But overall, when it comes to football, that's not bad at all. You throw in the fact that we pretty much lost all of that through COVID. Pretty good figures overall, you know, without boring anyone to tears. Pretty decent. And then you look at next season or next year's, you increase the turnover because of actually people going to the games. Now at Leicester, obviously, that's not going to be an unbelievable amount, but it's still going to tip, I believe. If you throw in that alongside um, the new sponsorship deal, I think that will probably tip Leicester in towards roughly breaking even. The fact that they spent a lot of money last year might just tip it back. It depends on how well we do in Europe as well. So overall, I, I think they're pretty decent results. So We like good news, don't we? Look at this. We've got over 40 minutes into the podcast and we've finally dropped in some good news. Shall we carry on with the good news <laughs> vibes? Shall we talk about... Um, we mentioned him briefly earlier on in the podcast, but Ricardo... Um, seemingly beginning to get back to his best after a horrible time. Um, loved his goal against uh, West Ham. What a header that is. Real desire, really. That's a man that's not um, not playing within himself, not not worried about his his body giving up on him because the, the physicality he had to show to get on the end of that was, was incredible. And he signed a new contract. We're talking about this exodus of players... Yet, Ricardo has signed a new deal up to 2026. And 
that's a huge positive for the club because obviously he was our player of the season in his last full season when he was actually fit. And if you can get that player back to those kind of levels, he makes such a difference to the team. And the fact that a player of his calibre wants to stay, sees a longer-term future at the club. I'm not saying he's going to be here till 2026 because the contract lengths don't mean an awful lot, but he's here to stay at least for now. And that's him having him back on the pitch is one massive plus. Having him tied down to a new contract is certainly another one. Yeah, I was quite surprised. Absolutely delighted because he's shown, and against Wolves, a really good game as well. Getting forward, we mentioned earlier about him and Justin. They are, they can be the width if you're playing with two up front. I think Ricardo is playing in the last... You're talking about a very small amount of games, but when he's come back in the past, he started the season well uh, when he came back from injury, but this... This is different. This is a different Ricardo. This is the Ricardo that we had as one of the best fullbacks in the league. And then for him to sign a contract for his... If he carries on and, and plays until the end of his contracts, that'll be him well into his 30s then. So this is really his big contract. I'd imagine he's on proper good money. But also, I would imagine if some club was going to come in for him, and there were rumours about some Portuguese clubs, etc., looking at him... They would have to pay some proper money now. If he left in the summer, for example, someone came in with a bid and Ricardo goes, look, I'm not being funny, but um, Madrid have come in for me. I'm, I've am i had a brilliant last 13 games or whatever. Um, and some of the big boys really have come in. They're going to have to pay some serious money. Then then fair dues. But I'm I'm absolutely delighted. I'm, I'm, I'm delighted with the way he's playing, with the, the bravery he's shown, with all the attacking intent and... And also, that header was just a superb header. How many times in the past, and you have to go back a while because obviously he's been out for so long, had we crossed the ball and then it was Ricardo on the back stick? It always was. It was Ricardo coming in late into the penalty area to get on the end of things. Or it was him with the ball originally flying down the wing um, and invariably picking out a good cross pass or even scoring himself. A brilliant player and a player who... I think, again, you can pin your width on on that side. Just on the other side, those two together playing... And it's just such a shame with Justin picking up that injury. Again, fingers crossed he's only out for a couple of weeks. But those two back playing well, because Justin kind of came back and played well straight away. Those two playing well together adds so much to Leicester. And you can, and you can always then throw in a centre-half like Fafan and you can throw in Evans, etc. and Vardy. Just shows you what a good side we do have. So, yes, a little bit of doom and gloom, but it's there. It, it is there, and it's it's coming back. Hopefully, Vardy can hit the ground running. But again, we won't go over what we've mentioned before. But if the results don't go, who knows what could happen? Uh, but no, I was I was surprised with the news, but absolutely delighted. And um, and there's more actually today. There was 15 players signing their first professional contracts, Rob. The likes of uh, all academy players, the likes of, say, um, Sammy Braybrook, we've got Sir Casey McAteer, etc., Ben Nelson, all signing uh, pro contracts. Uh, Alves, he's not because of, I think, of his age um, as yet. But, uh, yeah, so 15 signing pro contracts. The shake-up um, that went on, at youth level at Leicester, lots of players being released and then lots of players being brought in from from other 
clubs or who maybe failed at other clubs for one reason or another. Arsenal seems, you know, I know their their kind of youth setup has an, an incredible amount of players, and and they invariably go elsewhere. But it seems Leicester have picked up one or two, hopefully diamonds. And they've got through to the semi-finals of the, the Premier League Cup, the under-18s. So it seems behind the scenes, and we know with the likes of Jewsby Hall and other players coming through, that the quality is there. They've got, was it Premier status now as a, um, or Category 1 as, a, as a, an academy? I'm quite sure why we didn't have that before. But uh, yeah, great news behind the scenes when it comes to the youth side at Leicester. And... It's all very well, and I suppose this happens in in life, you know, politics at the moment, but it's all very well saying something, but actually whether that's the truth or whether that's actually going to happen is another thing. And so when they say there's going to be a big shake-up at Leicester with regards to the the youth setup, you go, okay then, well, we'll, do we have to wait five or six years to see the the, the fruits of this? Well, at the moment, we're seeing it in action. We're seeing, A, the results, what they're unbeaten in like 13 or 14 games, uh, the under-18s, and they're in the semi-finals. But also, the amount of players now signing these pro contracts, the glimpse that we've had, mainly due to the fact we had all them injuries, but a tremendous look at what's on the horizon when it comes to the youth players. Uh, A lot of people are getting excited, Alves especially um, has kind of triggered a lot of people online to, you know, look at clips and goals, etc. And I'm starting to become a bit of a believer in, in, in how good a player he might be. It's it's really exciting. And again, you'd hear the manager and the manager saying, well, this summer we've got to, you know, rejig the squad, etc. There's going to be a big turnover. Well, if it's worked at, at one side, why can't it work with, with the first team? And why can't those two things join together as as part of the major shakeup, sure, surely that's got to be the overall goal. Has got to be not just to make your academy better, so your academy's better. The the idea would be to make your academy better, so that you produce more players that are worthy of playing for Leicester City's first team. Now I know all clubs like to say, "Oh yeah, we love homegrown talent, whatever." But I think Leicester, above many others, have got an excellent reputation of. Uh, producing quality academy footballers and not necessarily being afraid to give them a go in the team. Now, probably historically, uh, certainly during the time that I followed Leicester, some of those academy players would get in the team because Leicester never really had the financial pulling power to have a squad um, that was deep enough to deal with possible injury suspensions, that kind of thing. So... I'm talking in the Martin O'Neill era, some of the players that got Premier League minutes for Leicester City then never went on to play another minute of Premier League or even Championship football again and slid down to the kind of level that really they were able to play at. But you're looking at now, in in, in terms of dead cert starters for Leicester, yes, Barnes has been in and out, but largely, if you were to name your strongest eleven for Leicester, he'd be in most people's. You've got the undroppable Kane in Dewsbury Hall at the moment come through the academy. You've got Luke Thomas, who, yes, we've had um, serious fullback injuries, and that that's massively increased the amount of minutes that he's got in the first team. But I still think, even if your fullbacks were completely fit, he'd definitely be in, in obviously, full training with the first team and would be given um, opportunities to, to show what he can do. 
And that's three right off the top of your head. Chowdhury's a, uh, a staple in your match day squad um, and has been for a number of years, regardless of the ever-increasing number of substitutes that you can have. And those are all huge positives. Uh, and what they do alongside Brendan Rodgers being renowned for trusting youth players and alongside a completely brand spanking new training facility, those players that are either released from other professional clubs or get to a point at that club where they think, I'm not going to get my opportunity here, this isn't the club for me, are looking around going, hang on, if Leicester are sniffing about and interested, then I certainly am because look at the setup they've got there and then look at the pathway that they've got to the first team. And it is a no-brainer, really, for players like Brunt, let's say, who, yes, would he have played in the first team this season without the injuries? No, but he's come uh, at a slightly older age. It's not like he's joined when he's 13, 14 and, and come through. It's not worked out for whatever reason. He's come to Leicester. He's been in the first team. He's now signed a, a new contract. And he looks a very useful, versatile prospect. All of the other ones that you've just mentioned there uh, as well. So if that shake-up in the academy leads to, in the next two to three years, let's say, us knowing more of those names, and what's pleasing as well is that we know a lot of those names already because they're being talked about in such high regard and because they're featuring for the first team, either on the bench or you know, in, in, in cup competitions or, or whenever they're required, it's, it's positive to not just be looking at the 25 named on the Premier League squad list, but actually the next five or ten that are potentially on their way through. Surely it's got to be a cheaper way of, of, of getting in quality players, isn't it? Get them when they're young, get them to, to the standard that you want, and then, and then put them into the first team rather than going out and splashing a ridiculous amount of money on, on a player that's never going to produce anything. Did you ever meet Bernie? It depends what your definition of meat is, but <laughs> I was growled at a number of times and probably growled back. Um, yeah, so yes, yes, I did meet Bernie. And I think probably most people listening to the podcast have at some point, in inverted commas, met Bernie. Bless him. Oh, dear. Now, I, I know um, from my former job um, in a bookmaker's, uh, I, I've known Bernie for years. He used to come in and <laughs> essentially every single person in there, apart from me and my mate Matt, huge Leicester fan as well, um, we loved him, absolutely loved him because, A, he annoyed everyone in there. And he was only in for five minutes, but it was great. And he would come onto the counter, uh, Mr. Selby, like this, Mr. Selby. <laughs> I don't know how he got my name, I have no idea. But um, he, he was so... Blind, he he couldn't see anything, but he could see me the other side of Loughborough Marketplace, and you'd hear this cry, Mister Selby, like this. <laughs> How's he going? Can you see me? I'm miles away, and yet he can't see the end. Anyway, he'd come in and he'll do his, he'll do a dance, and he'll be ah, you know, whoever we're playing, tell them how how rubbish they are in that. Um, he'll argue with it. There was an old man called Doug. He used to argue with him, which was a highlight. And and then he'll put a, a fiver on and, and disappear with his with his um shopping bags, his plastic shopping bags wrapped so tight around his wrists. <laughs> no idea what how his hands didn't fall off. 
Um, and then obviously at the football, we've all seen him at the ground over the years. The stories, I mean, you're going back, the walking to to Filbert Street from what Rothley Sile would be Mount Sorrel area, and then walking to away games, like unbelievable. I, I and mean, I I remember the stories from the nineties, from the playoff finals, where he hitchhiked down to, down to Wembley, and various supporters' buses would drop him off at various service stations. A lot we've done our bit for for three junctions. Someone else can do. Incredible. I mean, talk about character. I mean, for for a football club the size of Leicester, and you just go Bernard or you know, with the greatest respect, Mad Bernie or something like that. People know who you're talking about. Um, it's yeah, it's 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 ultimately very sad that he's. If if you if you have no idea who we're talking about, <laughs> then um, maybe you're again living abroad, etc. Haven't been to the city or 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 whatever. Um, he he basically wore blue tracksuit face paint, and he. I think there'll be a, a tremendous amount of people who would just go, "Look, the guy was a loon." You know, I know it's very sad that he's died, etc. But a real character. Um, apparently, back in the day, again because he was from you know kind of Loughborough and that, so um, you, you know people who knew him when he was younger. He was a very articulate and intelligent man, and. Um, and I oh, don't know quite what happened, but there you go. And I always liked it. Always, always got on. You know, kind of got on with him in the way. A lot of people kind of would have their own story. Maybe they're away at. Well, I remember a, a, him. Um, he got into trouble at Barnsley once. He was mind sweeping, basically picking up people's beers in the pub, and he was essentially going to be taken outside and all sorts. And I remember all sorts of people stepping in and saying, "No, no, no." Look, we know he's a nuisance, but he's all right. I think a lot of football fans out there, a lot of Leicester fans would have, at some point, if they're maybe of an older kind of, um, they've been around the block a bit, they at some point may have seen someone, or maybe done it themselves, stepped in and, and helped him out because of, you know, kind of his antics, etc. But yeah, a, a real a real shame. Um, yeah, I think I think his uh, his funeral is actually this week. But uh, but there we go. Yeah, Bernard Bernard the Leicester fan. My word. Uh oh dear! I, I've got I've got lots of videos of Bernard in from inside the bookies and that which uh, have been shared around with um you know people who, who obviously work there at the same time and that and again all all very nice you know not not over the top not uh, it's all you know but uh, it's quite hard to describe him I mean I'm sitting here trying to do this trying to not sound like I'm taking the mic but it it, it he was just extraordinary absolutely extraordinary to try and describe him to someone who has never met him or seen him before without trying to sound like he's a complete loot it's difficult isn't it you know you're trying to be respectful but how do how do you describe bernard but yeah the the one thing the one thing i will say to finish on with him is the amount of people on social media as soon as this was uh, announced as soon as the news uh, was you know kind of made public there was an a lot more people than I thought said very nice stuff. Do you know what I mean? Said like, oh, what a what a great character and all this sort of thing, or will be missed. I, I remember him loads more than I thought. Um, yeah, and, and and even just me tweeting from our account a picture of Bernard. I never thought it would get that many people kind of liking, etc. It's uh, but there we go. <laughs> I don't know who takes over his mantle. 
Rob, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think I've got enough blue face paint to last me as long as Bernie managed to wear it. Or maybe he just wore the same coat of face paint and just topped up the bits that have been rubbed off every now and again. It is difficult to describe, isn't he? For anybody that's not seen him or anything, and maybe if you're listening to this, you've got no idea what we're talking about, have a look on the Twitter because Pete did put that picture on. Um, and really every photo or video that you've ever seen of him does encapsulate his character in one in one shot, doesn't it? Um, I've, I've managed to find on social media, if you haven't seen it yet, the, the details of his funeral is Wednesday the 9th of March uh, in the afternoon at Loughborough Crematorium. And uh, it says here that he didn't have doesn't have any living relatives. Um, so really people are encouraging Leicester supporters to, to go along, wear Leicester shirts, wear Leicester colours. And although you kind of, I don't know if, if you would claim to know him, Pete necessarily know an awful lot about him, but you, you certainly interacted with him a number of times. Um, you know, I don't think many people from from what I've seen would would necessarily say that they knew him. But what an absolute, I don't know about icon is the right word, but but, but legend really, cult hero amongst amongst nearly virtually every Leicester City fan. Everybody knew who he was. You didn't need to say anything other than Bernie. You'd you'd go if you got into the ground, you'd say, "Oh yeah, I just saw Bernie on the way in," and they'd know exactly who you were talking about. Are there are there any other Leicester fans that you would know just by saying one word? Um, maybe Jobber, possibly. And 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 that's really off the top of my head, all you can think about, unless you're actually talking about actual famous people. And really, if let's say I don't know what. There's hundreds of thousands of Leicester City supporters. If that many people know your name, you are famous. He's he's one of Leicester's most famous ever supporters. So um, it, it won't be the same without him. Won't be. The same. You always used to sort of see if you could see him, or if you did see him, it put a little smile on your face, and you'd say, "Oh yeah, oh, I saw Bernie that that game. It's good good to see him still um, still coming down to the ground." So yeah, it'll be, it'll be sadly missed by many. I think it it it'll, it'll, it'll something. A little something will be missing from from some people's match day experiences, especially those that ended up sitting near him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh god, dear. I mean, that's a different story. Imagine being near him in the ground. My word. Anyway, yeah, it's uh, yeah. I mean, I've possibly will be going to the to the to the creme uh, again. People who I know who I used to work with, you know, we kind of said, look, should we go? Really, because you know. Why not? You know, again, we knew him not just from the football. It was kind of, you know, in, I know it's in the bookies, but for a lot of people, that would be their social kind of um, social club. You know what I mean? Their social contact away from football. I'd imagine someone like Bernard, apart from, let's get it right, terrorising other shops that he went into. <laughs> it was, anyway, yeah. So uh, I might report back with news of that. Um the more I think about it, the more I will actually. But uh, but there we go. So we'll we'll finish on the the, the two games coming up. We, we've gone into the importance of them. We, we won't mention Randers because I, I think we'll both say the same thing. It should be just relatively comfortable. But the games in the league, the Burnley game, I can't I I can't see Leicester not conceding. That's the problem. But at some point. Surely there will be a clean sheet. And I've just got the impression that this could be the game. Because of the route one nature of their football, which could completely... And that's with the greatest respect to Burnley. 
who I've mentioned many times, I've not got a problem with. I, I, I like Burnley. But even though in theory that should really, really play against us because of what we've witnessed over this season defensively, I just got the feeling that it could be the game where Leicester do keep a clean sheet and we do get the win. The win that just gives us that that push, that extra push, because the team have been putting the effort in, they've been playing well, but obviously all that we've discussed, they're still losing and drawing games. This, for me, could be the one game. I think it's going to be possibly a dreadful game, but I think I'm going to go for 1-0 Leicester and they do survive a aerial bombardment. Because I think sometimes the aerial bombardment, if it doesn't work, it can come up short pretty quickly. All of a sudden you can go, hang on, this is just not going to work. Sometimes it can completely ruin a side, probably how it happened against Brighton. I'm not entirely sure, I didn't see the highlights. But I'd imagine they've just capitulated under the, under that kind of pressure. If Leicester can hold firm and maybe a bit of a higher line, don't drop as deep as... Because if, if they start to drop deep, they'll just be completely swamped. I'm going to go for 1-0 Leicester. That could be one of the most foolish predictions that's ever been made. I don't think I can sit here and predict Leicester to keep a clean sheet. Um, I think Veghorst looks a proper, proper handful. And if you're talking about any kind of striker that you don't want Leicester's centre-backs to be dealing with at the moment, it's him. He's an absolute unit. And to throw in another cliche, I've already said it's a results business uh, on this podcast, but here's another one for free for you. He's got a fantastic touch for a big man. He uh, Honestly, he's, <laughs> he's, he's excellent at linking up the play. Um, has he got enough goals in him to be a Premier League striker? Probably not, but has he got enough goals in him to be a Burnley striker? Probably. Um, he could cause some serious havoc with, with Amati and Suyuncu. Um, assuming that's who's probably going to start as centre-back. But I think while he might be able to create some opportunities for Burnley and, and while our defence is always susceptible to conceding at least one goal, we should have enough quality to, to, to beat Burnley. You play like you did anywhere near like you did against Wolves and, and you win reasonably, I wouldn't say comfortably, but you... Let's say we st- we stick with the the classic Rogers formation that's got three central midfielders, and you they they play four four two solid four four two never wavers from four four two. So all of a sudden you you've got three midfielders like and Didi Tielemans and and Dewsbury Hall against who was it at the weekend who, who beat Brian Cork and Brownhill who would struggle to get into any other Premier League team in my opinion. Um, other than the other rubbish ones like Norwich and Watford. So really there should be too much quality in our midfield and too much driving power which Jewsby Hall gives us that, that should mean that Leicester should win the midfield battle. Burnley's fullbacks are rubbish. Peters, how on earth he's still playing Premier League football? I've got no idea. I used to see him at Stoke when I used to work there when I was a uni student a decade ago. And he was rubbish then and now he's bold and old and he's even worse. He's playing a left-back at the minute. You put Luckman or Barnes up against him, pants down. You could even put all Brighton against him, and I reckon he'd be able to beat him for pace. Roberts is still finding his feet in the Premier League. Dak, uh, we've said that, sorry, uh, Luckman and, and Barnes both look um, better on the left-hand side, so whoever plays there should be able to, to be able to beat him and cause him some problems. 
And then you've just really the only problem with that formation then is is what we we've talked about a lot on the podcast is the one up front. And uh, Burnley centre backs are very much in the same mould as the West Ham centre backs in that they will head and kick ball and man all day long. Tarkovsky and me will, if Daka doesn't try something a little bit different, they will have him in their back pockets all game long. Which is okay, provided that whoever's playing in the wide forward positions can beat their fullbacks regularly and create opportunities for other players. Tielemans and Dewsbury Hall should be able to break the lines of the Burnley midfield. So I think we'll have too much firepower for them, albeit not necessarily coming from the striker as such. But Leicester are going to concede a goal. It's just going to happen, isn't it? So I'm going 2-1. Blended. And then we move on to the Leeds game and we'll probably do a podcast before then. It would be probably a, a better setup than I've got at the moment. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I think we'll leave it at that. I think we'll leave it at the Burnley game because... Because of what we said earlier, and because what we all know, don't we out there? We all we all know if it goes wrong against Burnley, that Leeds game is huge for Rogers and for the football club. That is a huge, huge game. We could beat Randers eight nil on Thursday. That that could be the case. I mean, there's the obvious curveball of we could lose to Randers and and get knocked out of the competition, and that could seal his fate. But we could win eight nil against Randers. But if you lose to Burnley, that Leeds game becomes all or nothing for me. Um, so I think it would be foolish then to start a prediction because it depends on what happens with Burnley. The one thing I will say, actually, just to finish, Rob, a bit of a bright note. We could easily beat Randers and we could go to Burnley and win like we've both predicted. And then you've got Leeds at home and the season can then start to turn around with players coming back, etc. There is the possibility of Leicester... Again, finishing the season well. The fixture list towards the end of the season is rather good on paper. So there is still the likelihood that Leicester could finish strongly. Not going to finish anywhere in theory in the league, but still it could be a top half finish and things start to look rosy. So yes, it is starting to look knife edgy, but there is still that possibility that these good performances that we've been putting in will actually turn into three points at some point they just need to cut out the silly mistakes put that on repeat and and play it for the next five or six weeks it's probably going to be very apt (laughs) 